Smith will keep it. He dives for the end zone. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs kingdom history. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Car out of the shotgun. Looks left. Throws a lob for Michael Crowtree. Caught it. He caught it. He caught it. The Raiders have the lead. 35-34. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I needed that. Starting to feel like football now. Hey, that was a good start. Hey, that was a good start. We're going to finish for you, all right? The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us. It is a football Friday here the T.C. Martin Show, hour number two. No better place to be, though, as you know, on the Las Vegas Strip than the cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Whether it's uh, dining, gaming, or, of course, the wonderful, luxurious sports book here at the cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Come on by and join us. We're here each and every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. right here at the T.C. Martin Show. Of course, streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. All right, in the house with this ballpark, Frank. Wearing his Bears shirt, Brian Benowitz wearing his Raiders gear. You got to love that. And uh, our good friend Mike Pritchard has joined us. He is in the house. And, of course, Pritch, the former NFL wide receiver, uh, had himself a great NFL career, college career as well at the University of Colorado. Uh, go Ralphie, by the way. Always got to throw that in there. And a Las Vegas native himself. Pritch, good to see you, my man. Good to see you guys. What's man. happening? Man, this table good. is uh, huge. It's like a buffet table. This is what we do. Yeah. Uh, sorry the food's not here, though. I uh, know, right? <laughs> I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> we got lots of options here. Okay, we got yes, lots of options. Yes, do. <laughs> As we know. No doubt about it. All right. So let's uh, let's get into it. You've been... Uh, Covering the Broncos, you were you were back in Denver there for a while. Mm-hmm. Now you're covering the silver and black here. That's kind of strange. Well, your peeps in Denver got they, was, <laughs> they have probably disowned you, you right? Know, well, no, no, because it, they understand that I grow, growing up here yeah. never through thought that there would be an NFL team, right? Right, uh, right. Yeah. But I will put this out there though: I'm an original Raider because growing up here, my youth football team we were the Raiders. Tom OG. Silver and black, too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What was so, your number back then? Um, oh, 39. 39? 39. I know. What are you, Dave Parker? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I wanted to rock a number that nobody had because I wanted to make the number famous. Yeah. So, so you were yeah. a Las Vegas Raider long before there were the Las right. Vegas Raiders. I'm an original Las Vegas Raider. Yeah. <laughs> wow. See, how about that? So these are the new Las Vegas Raiders. But you were a Ram, too. You're a Rancho Ram. Yes, I've been a Rancho Ram. I've been a, a Bear. I was a Bear once, too. And, you know, youth football, you, you cover all the teams. That's true. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, no, it's, it was an opportunity to come back home and, yeah. and cover the, the home team now. So yeah. I, I jumped at it and doing some VEASAN work, too, and that's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, well great, uh, great to have you with us, uh, as always. Again, we've been... Uh, been doing shows together uh, for a long time. We're going back five years, man. <laughs> yeah. So this is it, it's great to, to have you come on by and join us. All right, so when we look at the Raiders, and we'll talk about this week's game uh, against the Chargers. i got the uh, the battle of the two stadiums here, but, but both empty. You know, Allegiant Stadium and then, of course, the you know, SoFi where the Raiders will be playing the Chargers this week. A, a little bit uh, crazy when you look at the, the Chargers. And I still want to call them the San Diego Chargers. It's hard to call them the Los Angeles Chargers, so... To stay focused on Chargers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've blown 
Three games where they've led by 17 points this year. Sure. Have not won any one of those games. You look at Justin Herbert, you know, the rookie out of Oregon, and, you know, he was basically given the, the keys to the car by default from, you know, Tyrod Taylor, you know, had that, that injury, that unfortunate, you know, uh, accident that he had prior to uh, the opener. And uh, Herbert now has is, is got this, uh, this team rolling, but they can't hold any leads. When you look at the Chargers, what do you see? Well, I see more than just not holding on to leads. I mean, defensively, they're breaking down, certainly. But what about offensively, though? Some of those losses, they had zero points in the fourth quarter. Right. Tampa, New Orleans, uh, Jacksonville, I think they had a field goal. So it's also offense. I mean, I think it's a combination of Justin Herbert being a rookie uh, and then certainly their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, being a rookie kind of offensive coordinator situation. So what happens is, is teams... They adjust to what you're doing. Like when you see offenses go up and down the field, all that's scripted. All that is based on what we worked on in our game plans, right? And then once the game plan unfolds, now you got to make those adjustments on the sideline. And what I'm seeing from the Chargers is that they're still playing catch up there. Justin Herbert, if he doesn't make a mistake, teams catch up to him during a game, and then he can't adjust again because he just doesn't have that experience level yet. So uh, I think it's a combination of, relinquishing leads like that defensively but then on top of it not being able to answer offensively what does anthony anthony lynn got to do here because he's he's going crazy when he looks at this team because when you match up this team i mean they've got talent on both sides of the ball they always have talent they they do do. and uh you know a lot of people thought okay they may be better off without philip rivers Mm. you know this year and, uh, you know, again, the Chargers kind of under the radar a little bit. But when you look at this team, it's like they're talented. But, I mean, they should be a lot better than what they are. Well, you've got to be careful, though, if you're the Raiders because the Chargers, man, they, they're up against it. Their backs are against the ball. Right. You know, you're talking about coaches being under, under fire and, uh, you know, what is this team going to look like? Some of these contract situations with some of the older vets, too, that's well paid. Uh, they are up in the air. Now, if they have a chance to right the ship or, or – or certainly get back in the win column, this is the week that I think they believe they can do that. And then go on a roll because after this game, I think they got Miami and then the Jets and people like that. So I I think the Chargers are trying to get right. So this is going to be a very, very interesting game. I think that's why it's a pick You got it. All right. When you mention the fact of the adjustments in a game, so when you're talking about that, and it's obvious to point at the defense like you mentioned, but, yeah, the offense has to control the ball. That's when you want to run and attack, burn clock, do other things like that. Is it on the players on the field, or is it maybe the coaching staff a little bit? If the other teams are making adjustments and figuring out what to do, then shouldn't the Chargers be able to make the adjustments to once again control the game, or do they maybe not have the personnel to hold on to a lead? No, they should, um, and they have the personnel. It's just they don't have the experience. You know, Shane Steichen as a as a really a first year head uh, offensive coordinator last year in the middle of the year. You know, you think about Anthony Lynn making the change. But this is the first year where he's had the keys. And now you have that combination along with a rookie quarterback. And so they don't know how to break tendencies. They don't know how to uh, be different than they were in the first half or make those other adjustments that you're going to have to make during the game. So, uh, you know, the league has caught up. And when you have good defensive coordinators and they understand that, they make it really difficult for the Chargers. Big blowing, blowing that many big leads, does mm-hmm. it start getting in your head? Oh, yeah. All of a sudden big you're time. worried like, oh, boy, here they come again? Yeah, you start looking at the scoreboard. You start looking at the clock and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean. Tick, tick, tick. Sure. You're constantly reminded of that. The media is going to ask you about it, too. So the mindset that you should have if you are a good team offensively is, one, they can't stop us. And then, two, 
how many points do we have to score tonight or today? Like, do we have to score 30? Okay. Do we have to score 40? Okay. Do we have to score 50? Okay. But when you settle and then you settle down and then you can no longer make adjustments, now you're in trouble because that other team starts to get rolling and then what? You can't just crank it back up. So it happened to the Chargers in the Bronco game. I mean, Locke wasn't playing well at all. They weren't running the ball at all. And then all of a sudden, Lindsey gets in there, gets a touchdown, and then Locke gets rolling. But then as, as, if you're the Chargers, you're on the sideline like, okay, we got to crank it back up again. But you can't do that, especially in the National Football League. All right. When you look at the Raiders, a uh, big swing game for them this week. Yeah. They're 4-3 and three right now. They want to get to 5-3. and three. Right. They don't want to be 4-4. Four and four. <laughs> And uh, this is a great opportunity for them. So in the first seven games, what have you noticed with the Raiders? Inconsistency. Yeah. Um, I've noticed some well-paid guys not playing well. Uh, Malik Collins, uh, Corey Littleton. It's one thing if you're Corey Littleton and you have Brockers and Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald in front of you. You're all pro, right? You're a pro bowler. You get paid by another team like the Raiders. But now with your defensive line not even close to that, what kind of player are you? And he hasn't showed up the way that he needs to show up. I think Kukowski's playing better. Sorry, sorry there, uh, Frank. But he's playing better. Uh, for the Chicago Bear that came over for the Raiders. And then the back end, they've missed Abram at times, and they've missed Damon Arnett too. So uh, I hear that Damon Arnett might play, which will be very, very helpful for the speed and the athleticism on the back end. All right. When you look at uh, Derek Carr, okay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think he's elevated his game. Stat-wise, he's looking pretty good. He's looking 14 really touchdowns, good. only two interceptions. Sure. But there's still the butt with him. There's, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a Kardashian butt with him because <laughs> he's uh, – he's, um, he, you know, at times it's beautiful to watch him play because he manipulates the defense, like the Kansas City game. For them to score 40, man, he was moving safeties. He was moving linebackers. He was dictating coverage. And he was dealing. Like, it's, it's been a while since, because I played with three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's right. been a while since I've seen a quarterback climb in a pocket, shuffle, drive on a play, and then reset to throw a bomb for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Been a long time since I've seen something like that. And Card did that against Kansas City. Now, has he been consistent with it? No. Mm-hmm. And that's where the up-and-down nature of the season has been. But he can find a way to stay on this level that he broke he broke through, the ceiling that he broke through to this new level. If he can find a way to keep climbing, I think the Raiders go deep this year. Yeah. You know, the Raiders have had some off-field issues, as we know, too, mm-hmm. with, with, with Trent Brown. Now we hear that he's he's back on the COVID list again. The Raiders had to pay some substantial fines and actually lost a, a draft pick. Uh, because six-rounder, yeah. Six-rounder because, because of all this. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about that. It seems like there's always been this, you know, these type of situations with certain NFL teams. And the Raiders have, you know, kind of had a, a stigma about themselves. <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest here. But uh, to speak a little bit to, to that in this, for this to go down at this point of the season where you're losing a draft pick and, and being reprimanded the way they were being reprimanded. Well, the draft pick, they can get back. That's yeah. a six-rounder, right? And you can make a trade exactly. and get that yeah. back. Uh, so I'm not worried about the draft Just pick. It's not a good look, though, right? Well, right. From It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's um, You got called out by the league, basically, and everybody's talking about you in this way. So it's mostly embarrassing more than impactful uh, towards the organization. I think the fine, uh, look, the fines are the fines. Everybody's getting fined uh, from COVID. Uh, when you think about what's happening, people breaking protocols, and you look at the Titans, they had $350,000 fine and stuff like that. So it's more of the embarrassment of being called a repeat offender 
Mm-hmm. I mean, one, an offender, and yeah. then a repeat offender. That That's embarrassing. So uh, I, I think they should be okay, though. I, you know, what, I, not ego bruise or anything like that, but certainly you have to follow protocol. Right. This is uh, uh, uncharted territory. Really, you're dealing with a pandemic, and the league is going to come down on you harshly if you break protocols. All right. Let's uh, keep it here in Las Vegas real quick and flip it. You used to uh, do a lot of the color commentary for the UNLV football <laughs> broadcast. And uh, it was great seeing you at, uh, at the game last week. And here we go. UNLV is back at home mm-hmm. uh, against Fresno State. Uh, give us your take of what you saw with the Rebels last week. Actually, the first two weeks. We saw them last week against Reno, uh, where Reno just looked like to be the, the, the better team. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts early it, on. You know, isn't it funny, fellas, that everybody thinks scheme – makes the difference <laughs> like what i saw i was like oh, they're running the same offense that coach sanchez ran right? right i mean they just have a different coaching staff now they're running the same defense that coach sanchez and his staff ran they just have different coaches now i'm like okay so why did you make the change <laughs> well, i get it mark marcus arroyo he's a hell of a coach and he's been a hell of a recruiter now it's going to take him some years just like any other new coach to come in and change the culture and and get players to play the way that he wants them to play. So I, I think UNLV has been in that revolving door situation of wanting change, but yet they make change before change happens. And and it, they're still stuck in that revolving door. So I don't know when they're going to get better, to be honest with you. They're not good now. Mm-hmm. They're not even close to being good. I, I hope they're more competitive, to be honest with you, but this coaching staff has a lot of work to do to uh, get these players to play better. Well, and you mentioned that, too. You mentioned the revolving door, and we have seen different coaches there. ADs, how, everything. How, yeah. how long do they give a Royal before he has to turn it around? Are they going to give him the time to do what you said he wants to do? I've heard some people say that, well, maybe this year's kind of a throwaway season. He didn't get the, the great start that he wanted, and maybe the players that he wants to play the way he wants to in that. But we also know that Turnover is a big thing in college sports all across the board, certainly at UCLA. I mean, at UNLV, we've seen it as well. So how long does he get? Does he have the time to put things in place? And how long is that time going to take? Well, um, I mean, when you're this bad, I mean, if if you get there in three years, it's an amazing job, to be honest with you. Uh, They don't have a quarterback, um, not to, to the level that they want. So how long is it going to take to get a quarterback, and then how long is that quarterback going to, in, until he's ready to play at a high level, right? Um, no, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work. This is a tough job. And then defensively, whew, they got a big, oh, yeah. they got a big uh, endeavor right there too. So I, I, I don't know, Frank. It, hopefully three years, hopefully. That, I mean, that's being optimistic right there to say that in three years they're going to be eligible for a bowl game. And, and there's really no reason with the facilities they have now in the new stadium that they can't recruit and, and be in the top level of the Mountain West. I mean, it's 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 not the Pac-12, it's not the Big 12. Uh, it, it's a it's a league that they should be competitive in every year. And so that's where the uh, the, the local fan base just gets uh, you know disheartened. Well, yeah, but you know, one of the things uh, that UNLV has not done, and I've been a part of this growing up here and. Uh, when I committed to the University of Colorado, I actually almost changed my commitment to go to UNLV because I sat in front of Wayne Nunley, who was the head coach at the time, and I was convinced that, you know what, I should stay home and play for my school, my hometown, right? And and then I asked a question, the question that kind of changed my life. And I asked him, I was like, if you go undefeated, and back then the 
the PCAA. Right. Yeah. Um, what do you guys, what, do you, what happens? What do you, well, we go to the California Raisin Bowl. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Well, you know what? If I go to the University of Colorado and we go undefeated, we go to the Orange Bowl and play for the national championship. And he was like, you better go to University of Colorado, right? Yeah. So that's what kept me from changing my commitment. Yeah. But I think Marcus Arroyo, as he recruits and he does a great job, and he has, he's got to get these athletes uh, in town to stay here. Remember, oranges always trump raisins. Ah, right? Yes, that's, yes. That's, okay. Very profound. <laughs> sure, that was. That's why you hear that laugh I gave. I was yeah. like, ah. <laughs> right, right. You going to put that on a T-shirt or something? Or? I don't know. I just came up with Maybe it. Maybe a like coffee that. mug. Or... There you go. Well, he, I, I was a great... he slid Trump into the conversation, oh, too, he? which is unbelievable. Uh-oh. Uh, that was not by design. <laughs> I can tell you that. So, I don't know. You know. Hey, real quick, one more thing yeah. on the UNLV front. Um, the new stadium, the mm-hmm. facilities that you mentioned, how much does that impress a kid, and will that help in recruiting? Okay, so how impressed were those kids as they were getting their butts whipped against right. UNR? <laughs> Did you think they thought about the stadium and, hey, you know what, hey, we got great facilities, huh, well, as we're and, losing and the trophy. I'm asking you because you yeah. went through the recruiting, no, that, and we hear that all the time from people in the media and different Well, the new stadium is going to make every. You can have the, the brightest, shiniest new toy yeah. in the world. But if your program's no good, like you say, you're still going to want to go and play for a potential championship right. rather than the the tidy bowl. Because you know what? Those other programs have great facilities, too, and, and they're winning. So to me, I mean, I, I think the facility, it, it's necessary. Like, you need the, the Fertitta Center. I mean, you need that. Yeah. You absolutely need that. So, so if you want better players or if you want to develop players in a better way, then that's what you need to do. And then... Playing at Allegiant, I mean, I think every kid would enjoy that, but you want to enjoy it with a win, not a loss. Pritch, we appreciate you hanging out today, man. Oh, this is great, man. Anytime I get to Cosmo, I love it. Anytime. So, yeah. ne- and next next time you come, we're going to go have some food at Block 16. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, you name it. I'm yeah. down. Yeah. If, he, if he didn't have to run now, we'd go We'd go right after the show. I know. There you go. Yeah. See? Okay. I'm, I'm here next time. <laughs> we, we ta- we've talked about that. Yes. Yeah. Pritch and I, see, we like our food. All of us at this table, we like our food. <laughs> Plain and simple. Rodgers in the shotgun, three receivers left, one to the right. Packers need at least seven yards to move the chains. Rodgers gets the snap, blitz is on, Rodgers scrambles He's left, winds up, rainbow. Cobb. He's got Cobb at the 10 to the 5, yes! to the end zone, touchdown, and a dagger! Oh my goodness, an NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards! All right, that voice is the longtime play-by-play broadcaster spanning a variety of sports and teams. And we know we have a lot of Chicago people here in Las Vegas, so you remember him from the voice of the Bulls, the Cubs, the Bears. You can still catch him on the Big Ten Network. Uh, Even the Kansas City Chiefs back in the day. And uh, currently, he's now considered the longtime voice of the Green Bay Packers. Heck, I think it's going on like 21 years. And a former colleague of mine when I was back in Green Bay, one of my favorites, Wayne Larrabee joins us. Wayne, what's going on, my friend? Hi, TC. How you doing? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, my friend. It's been a while, and uh, it's it's great to hear that voice. And we, we get to hear you on the highlights every now and then. Or if we have Sirius XM, we get to hear you and Larry McCarron, The Rock, on those uh, Packer broadcasts. So glad to hear everything's uh, going well with you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I hope things are going well for you out in uh, Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as we hear one of those play calls, Wayne, and you use the dagger term, which I know Packer fans love to hear that. Have you ever used the dagger prematurely? 
<laughs> Not really, although um, there was a game up in Seattle, a fail Mary game in 2012, oh, yeah. where the last game they had replacement officials, and they haven't had them since in the NFL. Um, they kind of botched up that call, but that game was over, and that play should have never happened. And uh, you know, but hey, part of the magic, I guess, of Russell Wilson in Seattle. Yeah, we uh, boy, we remember that game, and uh, you know, it's it's funny because there's so many great rivalries in sports, and with the Packers, I'm kind of curious what you think here. Obviously, you'd say Packers Bears or Packers Vikings, you know, Packers Lions. I really not to that de- degree, but really the Packers. And the Seahawks have really become a rivalry, uh, wouldn't you say that, over the, probably the last 10 or 15 years? Yeah, you know, I mean, you go back to even when Holmgren was up there in Seattle. And right. They would come through in the mid-2000s and play the Packers in divisional playoff games. And I, I think you're right, T.C., of course, that um, epic NFC championship game in Seattle and after the 2014 season that they played last year in the playoffs. Um, you know, the Aaron Rodgers-Russell uh, Wilson matchup has been uh, dynamite to watch. Each wins on, on his uh, home field, it seems like. But, no, I, I think it has. And, and, you know, these rivalries come and go, but rivalries in your division, especially Bears-Packers, the oldest in the, the league. And, and of course, uh, you know, Vikings-Packers, because it seems like, those two teams are fighting it out every year for the division championship. So those games are significant. They become rivalries. But I think as you go through the league and you go through the years, it depends on who's good. And, you know, two teams that are good to meet the playoffs often develop a rivalry. So, Wayne, I've got my tag team partner here, Ballpark Frank Harnish, who is a Chicago native. And I don't think he's ever still forgiven you for leaving the Bears going back 20 years ago. So, uh, hopefully you're okay, you know, with, with, uh, with, with Frank here, Wayne. And, Frank, I hope, I hope you're okay with Wayne here. I'm okay with Wayne here. I mean, I, you know, I, I left Chicago, you know, about 30 years ago now. So I remember when he was still there doing all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, to a lot of Chicago fans, the dagger was him going to Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, let me ask you about that. Because, you know, when that happened, I think your your first season was, what, 99, I think, with the Packers. Did Was that really hard? Did you hear a lot of talk like from Bear fans that, hey, you're going to the enemy and all that? Kind of go into that story a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, because I was still doing a lot of work in Chicago. I was still doing the Bulls on WGN TV and and in and out of Chicago a lot with, at the time, I was still working at um, ESPN, Big Ten Network stuff. So, um, yeah, I was still doing a lot of work in Chicago, so I heard a lot about it, but it wasn't, you know, Social media in 1999 wasn't a big deal uh, back then. Matter of fact, I don't even know if it was off the ground by then. But, um, you know, so I didn't hear that much, but I heard it, you know, on the talk shows and things like that. And I I will say this, if I knew it was going to create that big a storm, I probably wouldn't have had the guts to leave. So, you know, (laughs) but, uh, you know, and and I'm honored that uh, you and and other people are still ticked off at me for having left because it's an honor uh, that I had an impact in, in that market. You know, when you went up to Green Bay, were you looked at as kind of the guy from Chicago? Because I know, like, Harry Carey in baseball, everybody fell in love with him. He became the Cub fan and the Bud man and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people, some of the diehards never forgave him because they remembered him as Mr. Cardinal and then doing the White Sox games with Jimmy Pearsall. Yeah, exactly. Um, things change. And, you know, I, I didn't really give it much thought because I thought, well, who cares if the play-by-play guy goes somewhere else? I mean, it happens all the time in our business. But, um, yeah, you know, 
You're exactly right. And I think there were a lot of people, it took a long time before some people, um, you know, wondered why, number one, I, I made the move, and number two, um, you know, that uh, I was the Bears guy. Why? But, you know, the thing I could never understand was, um, you know, the mentality of that is, okay, so wait a minute. I, I left Chicago or I left the Bears to come to Green Bay to do the Packers, and you're, you're saying I'm the Bears guy? I'm still rooting for the Bears? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to wonder about the mentality right. of people sometimes. And I want to be as um, delicate as I can, um, you know, kind of like Joe Biden describing Donald Trump still in the White House moping around, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> So, you know, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but by the same token, I always wondered, how could you think that? I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he is Wayne Larrabee and uh, longtime voice now of the Green Bay Packers. Wayne, really curious, you know, talking to a lot of our colleagues here who are in the broadcast business, and we know that the announcing teams are not able to go on the road this season. How has COVID in this football season affected your job just kind of go into detail with that because I don't think a lot of listeners really know that you know sometimes we see these ESPN guys doing baseball games from their home or they'll be in a, in a studio and I know here you know in Vegas now covering the Raiders there are visiting broadcast teams that do not make the trip so tell us how this has affected you. Yeah, no, we don't travel um, with the team and, and there are, there's a myriad of reasons why, not the least of which is you know team travel on the charter the uh, the league is trying to keep these players as safe as they can, and, and you don't want to introduce uh, people from the outside coming into the situation. Uh, practice is wholly different. The biggest difference for me is practice. I really can't see it a whole lot. Um, you know, I can see when they're working out outside, but if they work inside, I can't go in to see them uh, in that regard because, um, you know, some people are getting tested every day, and those people who uh, go in to see indoor practices and things like that, um, they're getting tested every day, and I, I'm not. I don't. Li- I live in the Milwaukee area. I don't live up in Green Bay, so it's become very much just a weekend gig now. Because uh, you know, I used to go to practice at least once, right. sometimes twice a week. Um, more involved with the team, you'd be in the locker room, you'd be visiting with people, you'd talk to people. Um, we can't do that. No, nobody can now. Uh, teams, everything's done on Zoom. On the one hand, it's more convenient. On the other hand, you don't feel as close to the product you're covering, the team you're covering. And that makes it a little more difficult, I think, to get a real feel um, for the team going into the game. It's, it's kind of like, and I did this for a long time, I mean, it's kind of like you're doing a regional broadcast or you're working um, on a national broadcast for Westwood One. You, you know, you come in and you do the game and you leave, but uh, you don't have that same feeling uh, that you had when you were there every day and at practice almost every day and in the locker room during the week, that kind of thing. Staying on that theme with how COVID has affected things, I just read an article today when Aaron Rodgers was talking about it, and he mentioned that he thinks that team chemistry is a big thing in the NFL. Some people don't. He does. But, you know, they like to get there for Halloween and Thanksgiving, and they go bowling once in a while or go to a movie together. He said all of that has affected team chemistry, and he thinks that's a big factor for why maybe the some of the plan that is a little bit looser this year. Do you see that? And how big is team chemistry? Is it bigger on some teams than others? Yeah, I, I think it's a group of people. You know, some some teams come together, some teams don't. And And what's fascinating to me is that a team can come together one year and the very next year, most of the players are still there, 
but the chemistry isn't the same. Uh, maybe they picked up a free agent. Maybe they, you know, they, in this day and age, you lose almost a 25% of your team every year. So it, it, this, this is really different now. Teams are different year to year. That chemistry, which I think is the most important ingredient to championship, you don't win a championship without it, okay? Um, you know, that is the hardest thing to recapture for a team. Even though the veteran core of that team stays together and is together year to year, some years it works, some years it doesn't. And that's something that the coaches can't, you know, the X's and O's, that's beyond X's and O's. That's beyond coaching. That's beyond attitude. It's, it's kind of a, um, the chemistry aspect is almost a spiritual thing. And nobody wants to admit that, but it's true. Because in the NFL, uh, coaches work 18 hours a day uh, to control what happens on Sunday. You know, And quite frankly, they can't. And chemistry is a big part of it, I think, as to whether a team comes together or it doesn't come together. And I've seen it in both ways, um, you know, here in just in Green Bay. But also, I go back to the 85 Bears, who are the youngest team in the league. This is before free agency. This is when you didn't lose 25 to 30% of your team every year over natural uh, attrition, retirements, and free agency. This is when you brought everybody back year after year. That 85 team had a singular purpose to win a Super Bowl. And they were extremely talented, extremely young. They had big-time personalities. And once that Super Bowl uh, goal was achieved, the chemistry of that group of players changed dramatically. And all of a sudden, what bound them together was gone. And they were out on their own, basically, uh, from a personality, from a chemistry standpoint. And they never really got it back. So... Um, chemistry is the most delicate thing in the business and is the thing nobody can control. And like you said, when we're covering those teams and we're in the locker rooms on a daily basis and going to practice, we can see that. And you can see which teams have the chemistry. And to your point, Wayne, like right now and, and us here, you, you really don't really know. You can't see what it's like uh, this season. And again, with the constant you know, moving pieces year in and year out that we've seen now in the NFL and all sports for that matter, it is, uh, it, it is very, very different. He is Wayne Larravee. He's a longtime voice of the Packers. And, of course, uh, he mentioned those 85 Bears, longtime voice of the Bears as well, too, and so many other teams in the Chicago area. Wayne, let's talk about these Packers. Uh, give us your thoughts about the Pack moving forward here in the second half of the season. Well, you know, this is a very good offensive football team that hasn't had all of its weapons and has been hit hard by injuries and position switches up front on the offensive line. So what they've done is remarkable. Rodgers has really bought into the, the system and and uh, running the offense and that type of thing, and, and he's really having – I've got to tell you something, guys. You know, his best year, uh, the best year a quarterback he's ever had in the NFL, with the highest passer rating, 122.7 or whatever it was, was 2011 Aaron Rodgers. But, guys, he had incredible weapons around him. Uh, you know, he had uh, Greg Jennings in his prime. He had a Donald Driver. Um, he had uh, Randall Cobb as a rookie. Jermichael Finley as a big play tight end. James Jones on that team as well, um, you know, who's a very good receiver. He went five deep with skilled people. Um, you know, he doesn't have those kind, that kind of skill around him, nor does he have, um, you know, the depth of experienced skill around him. He's got Devontae Adams. He's got Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones can be Alvin Kamara on any given Sunday. Not every Sunday, but every given any given Sunday, he can be that player. 
Uh, Devontae Adams is flat out, in my opinion, the best receiver in the league right now. And, you know, but beyond that, you've got a lot of new guys, a lot of inexperience, guys like uh, Alvin, Alan uh, Lazard, who started to emerge a few weeks ago and then suffered a, uh, an injury uh, that he had needed surgery for. And maybe he comes back this week, but he was breaking onto the scene. It's Robert Tunyon at tight end has had a couple of big games. It looks like he can be a player for them at the skilled positions. But, you know, we're not talking about household names as we were in 2011 surrounding Aaron Rodgers. So what he's doing today, in my opinion, long, long answer to your question, he's better today than he was in 2011, which was the best year he ever had. Yeah, I remember that team obviously very, very well being back there at that time. So much of uh, was made about the coaching change last year and then the drafting of quarterback Jordan Love from Utah State. How has the relationship been with Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and the organization so far this year? Uh, by all indications, it's been great, um, you know, by all indications. And, uh, you know, I think they've really, uh, you know, uh, Rodgers and Matt LaFleur have uh, hit it off right from the beginning and from what I could tell last year. And, and then this year it's kind of, um, you know, blossomed a little bit more. Nathaniel uh, Hackett is the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, uh, Rodgers has grown very close to him. Um, no, I, I think the that relationship, the coach-to-player relationship with Aaron Rodgers is outstanding. And uh, I know that surprises a lot of people on the outside. But to those of us who are close to it, it, it really doesn't. Um, because I, I think Aaron Rodgers the kind of guy, he wants to succeed above all things. And if he's upset with one thing or another, or maybe somebody got fired, he didn't want to get fired, you know, whatever, any kind of little things that might, that might tick off uh, an employee – He's not going to let that happen to him. And then compare that to him and Mike McCarthy. I mean, we got to see that up close and personal. But for, for our listeners, talk about the difference. I mean, you know, that was much publicized for people on the outside looking in saying, hey, there has to be something wrong with these two guys. Well, you know, that, that's, again, hard to see you know, if, unless you're in the room with them. Right. Um, but obviously they had worked together for a long time. Obviously uh, they had accomplished a lot. And obviously they were two alpha dogs who, who really, um, you know, I think the tension that they had with each other had more to do with creative energy than anything else. Uh, these were two really good people at, at what they were doing. And I still think the world of Mike McCarthy and, and the offense he brought to Green Bay and the way he turned things around uh, with first Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, but I think there comes a point in time when um, maybe that creative energy and that creative tension uh, begins to wear at the relationship of the two individuals, and so um, I think they they needed a they needed a break from each other. They needed a split, and certainly it happened. You mentioned how good Devontae Adams is, and he just came out when he was asked if he's the best receiver, and he said, "Yeah." And why wouldn't he? What makes him so good? And was it, what is it about some guys that even though everybody in the stadium knows the ball's going their way, they still find a way to get open and get it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, his ability to get open at the line of scrimmage, guys. I mean, we, we can argue who's the best receiver in the league, you know, for days. Okay. But they each had to do something different. And Devontae's difference for him in his game is the way he wins at the line of scrimmage. Almost immediately, at the top of the route, he's open. Okay. Right away, he's open. It's why he's so effective in the red zone. Some guys, Julio Jones, name a number of other great receivers in this league, maybe, you know, um, Hopkins and, and any number of them, they all have their strengths. Um, 
but a lot of them maybe take time to get off coverage, to get open in the route. Devontae gets open immediately, and that's what makes him so good in the red zone when you don't have a lot of time to get open in the red zone and you don't have a lot of room to work with. Um, so I think it's the suddenness of Devontae Adams uh, that really makes sets him apart. And he's playing, you know, on, on a different level. He's got a tremendous confidence going. Um, you know, he still has, hey, they all dropped the ball, and the guy who led the Packers in drops last year, Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. And he, yet no one questioned the fact that he was far and away by far their best receiver. Great stuff, Wayne. We appreciate it. And uh, continue to do the, uh, the great work, you and Larry McCarron on the Packers Radio Network. And uh, always trying to get a listen to you guys when we can here, whether it's Sirius XM or whatever it is. But continue success, my friend. Always great talking with you. Hopefully we can catch up again real soon. Hey, a pleasure talking to you guys. Have a great day. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. All right. It is time to get our groove on, to get our funny on. And join us now, great friend of the program, heard semi-regularly right here. And, of course, you know him from his time and going way back in the day, Mad TV, Fox NFL Sunday, of course, ESPN. And he's touring the globe just doing his stand-up comedy. Here for two shows, actually, coming up here in a couple weeks, October 18th at the Aliante, the 19th at the Orleans, my man, Frank Caliendo! Hey, I, I think I should be your... Your warm-up guy, your intro guy. How, how's that for introduction? Top five, but I go even better than that. Number one. Number one. What's going on, my friend? How you doing? Doing well. Just uh, actually headed out to uh, this week. Uh, I'm headed out to Chicago. My daughter broke her elbow a while back, and she's gotten to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we're heading out to a thing called AceCon out there in Chicago. I'm going to do a show out there one day, and then um, we're going to try and have her meet some Avengers. Last time, she got to meet uh, Josh Brolin, Chris Evans, who turned out to be a big fan of mine, which I wasn't expecting. Um, he started quoting things from my act, uh, and then I, then me being the idiot that I am was uh, just with my foot in my mouth completely like, you don't understand what it's like to be pigeonholed under one character like me with John Madden. You don't understand that, Captain America. What a moron I am. So, <laughs> But uh, we've gotten to meet a couple of really cool ones. And uh, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, uh, he does a bunch of impressions, too. And the, but he was one of the persons, uh, people, persons, where am I? One of the people that I met um, and we're talking for a little bit. And he's like, yes, um, I am doing impressions of people that um, I work with in, in movies. And I was like, oh, wow, we're so similar. I do impressions of people that I've seen in movies. So <laughs> that's pretty close but he, he was the greatest and then we started doing jeff goldblum to each other very odd very weird why 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 is my favorite letter so it was mine so we've seen you dress up quite a bit on set in the characters that you do if you had to go to one of these places and be a superhero who would you dress up as invisible man 100%. <laughs> very nice very nice no I, I i don't i wouldn't dress up like that because that feels like work to me i mean for for other people, it's fun. For me, it's like getting back and doing sketch comedy. So, uh, I don't know. My daughter doesn't get into the dress-up kind of thing either. But uh, she's she's 13, but she's she just likes to meet the people, and I use my C-level uh, status of fame to try and get her to meet extra people. So. And, and I've seen you go through quite a bit of, of makeup and wardrobe with uh, some of the, the, the stuff you've had to do 
with your face and, and for some of these appearances. And what was was the one that was on ESPN or whatever it was? I mean, seriously, you had to be in a chair for hours. Yeah, it depends on what it is. I When I first started, when I was at Mad TV even before then, I used to ask them to put as much makeup on me as possible, as much prosthetics, uh, glue as many things to my face to make me look like the person as possible. And over the years, it became, hey, can we just not put that nose on? Can you just shade something? Can you not put that chin on? How about we just try and use my own hair instead of a wig? So slowly it became less and less. But in terms of uh, what I used to do for, with the John Madden stuff, I, probably about two and a half hours. I got it down to 45 minutes by the <laughs> end of the, the run on the NFL on Fox. Wow. Frank Caliendo joins us. Well, you talk about your daughter. I remember when we talked way back when you were coaching your son in football. I can't remember if it was flag football or whatever. Was that short-lived, Frank? And then the, the big question uh, is, well, did you ever dress up as John Gruden for any of these games? No, but the other coaches wanted me to. They would say, I can't wait to tell people I beat John Madden. I'm like, I'm closer to Steve Madden than John Madden. You know, they're like, do some Gruden for me. I'm like, I'll tell you what, man. Here's what you need to do. Stop taking youth flag football so seriously, man. Then I'd run as fast as I could, pretty much. Um, it was weird because the coaches thought they were coaching against an NFL-level coach. I'm like, I, no, I, I was more of a court jester than a king out there. So, uh, And the kids... The kids also thought I knew more than I did. They're like, didn't you know that's what that, that's a spread formation? I'm like, yeah, I kind of did. Whatever. <laughs> you guys, just run your own plays. You, you play more Madden than I ever have, so you know more about what's going on. Well, you at least had to know how to draw up Spider 2Y Banana. Come on now. Yeah, throw it to the fullback, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's the primary, man. I remember Gruden testing me on that. He's like, who's the primary and in the in spider two eye banana i'm like the tight end he goes the fullback man don't be stupid i'm like okay you want to do some disco out in london man i'll tell you what how about that gruden this week if we're out in london we can beat anybody anywhere any galaxy far far away man we could beat the, anybody from the star wars bar it doesn't matter because we are the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders. I'll tell you what, man. Let's get ready for that. Speaking of the Raiders, we saw you back in August on the HBO series Hard Knocks with the Raiders where you came in to talk with a player. So it played out like you came in the room and Gruden was actually surprised. Was that actually the case, Frank, or was that just all scripted for us goofballs watching on television? Well, it, it was. It, they were actually in Arizona and uh, because right. I live in Arizona, right. and they came to play the Cardinals. The way they played it was at the beginning of the episode as opposed to right before the Cardinal game. So they came out. Uh, they called me a couple hours before. It was Gruden's right-hand man, Jeff Leonardo, uh, texted me, says, can you, can you come over here tonight? We're ready to go. I was like, okay. And I had talked to the team last year, and they won the game. And after the, I talked to the team last year, Every week, Gruden's like, are you busy this week? I'm like, I can't come and talk to the team every week. It's like, we're giving you game ball, man. Sure enough, two weeks later, I got a game ball. I got one after this game, too, because every time I talk to them, apparently they win. So I was like, hey, can you can talk to us for a Super Bowl, man. So he, uh, so I went out there. I, it was different than the year before. When The year before I walked through the door, I was immediately on stage. This time, I went through, walked through the whole team. I was completely discombobulated. Yes, Gruden knew I was going to be there. Nothing happens. Trust me, nothing happens at an NFL um, 
practice or meeting session that that an NFL coach doesn't know about. They know everything. That's that's pretty much the way it works. Nobody's trying to surprise uh, an NFL head coach. They're in complete control. Uh, but I was discombobulated, and I was going to sing because Hunter Renfro had sung uh, "Lean on Me" the week before. But I was so nervous about it that I I, I froze for a little bit, what? got scared. That's unusual. Come on! Oh no, it was weird. I was like American Idol season one, just people <laughs> just kind of standing up there, uh, really weirdly and silently. It was getting some laughs because I was making the face, but. I said to somebody afterward, like, how long was it silent? They're like five or six seconds. I'm like, really? That long? That's pretty bad. So they edited it up, and it went really well in real time, but they they edited it completely in a different order and made it tell a little bit of a different story, but they did a great job with it. And, and yeah, that was, I mean, that was the highlight of Hard Knocks for a lot of people because I I think Gruden knew a little bit too much about television, and they didn't really let you know anything get in there other than uh, you know crazy Antonio Brown. Right. Were you, you felt like maybe you were dealing? Kind of, I know you you used the line to say, "Hey, when you did Madden, did these guys even know that John Madden was a coach?" I was like, "No." Well, he asked me to. Do, I don't know if they had it on camera, but he says, "Do some John Madden." Right and uh, Gruden does, and I was like, yeah, I shouldn't. I should have realized that. Yeah, it was the Raiders. He was in ep- the first episode, going to get the seven man slot. I should have talked about that, but again, I was still so discombobulated <laughs> from the singing and the Hunter Renfro and the some times in our lives. I, and I thought I was singing really great. I saw the episode. I'm like, man, that was awful, just hideous. Yeah, Bill Withers so, wouldn't have been too proud of you, my friend. I got to tell you. <laughs> No, no, a little pitchy, a little pitchy too. <laughs> Frank Caliendo joined us. Okay, Frank. So uh, you're, we just got done talking about Jay Gruden being let go today by the Redskins. Uh, your thoughts, as much as you you've talked to to John and been with John, have you, I would imagine you've got a chance to to know and meet Jay a little bit too. And give us your thoughts. I, on I've this. only run into members of Jay's family. I've been, his son, who used to play at Dayton, play basketball there. <laughs> But I've never, I've actually never met Jay, and they invited me out to a game while I was working in D.C. But I couldn't, I couldn't get out there. But he sounds, he's, he's kind of similar. Talks a little bit higher like this, and a little more staccato than his brother John talks down here. Jay does the kind of this kind of a talk up here, right. so that kind of a thing. I'm probably going to work for John pretty soon. <laughs> hey, what man? We need a new offense coordinator. We get my brother here. This guy, he knows what he's doing. It's going to be Gruden Company, man. That's a pretty good Jay Gruden, man. I gotta say, I got. I think you, you, I'll tell you what, you just yeah, just kind of do the same kind of thing. Yep. Just do that. Yep. You yep. switch it up a little bit, and it becomes Sean McVay. That's that goes like that. I go there. <laughs> Who's your favorite team? Now, I, I, I say this because I got a feeling it, it's got to be the Packers, right? Because you grew up in Wisconsin, or is it not? It was, but I. It's hard because I know so many players on different teams. I've got you know Drew Brees flew me and my family out, let my son watch uh, tape with him years ago um, during uh, during the, the the you know camp. And uh, yeah, right now, I mean the, the the Raiders are actually way up there because John always invites me to do stuff, and uh, you know he's been kind of a close, not a close friend, but a good friend, and. Uh, invited me to the Monday Night Football booth uh, over to the uh, the Pro Bowl. So, in terms of that stuff, I, and also the Arizona Cardinals because I've got some friends there as well. But it's I I don't know. I try I try I don't even root for teams as much anymore as I used to. A growing up Packer fan, 
But in terms of now, it's hard because you just start to know too many people and you want everybody to do well, which doesn't really work in sports because half the teams are going to lose most of the time. You know, I can actually see a, a visual with you and Drew Brees with a slight bit of makeup. You can actually have that Drew Brees look, I think. <laughs> I wish I was in shape like him. <laughs> I'd take that in a heartbeat. And people say how short he is. He was like five inches taller than me because I'm only five six. So it's funny when they talk about how how tall, you know, how short people are in whether it's the NBA or NFL. And uh, those are Russell Wilson. He's like four or five inches taller than me too. It's it's just ridiculous. You, you see how big some of these human beings are in these uh, professional sports, and then you, you know, I'm short for the average person. I tower over somebody like Kevin Hart. But right, of course. Yeah, 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 I gotta get something in there to make myself seem average. You know, a lot of people may remember, may not remember, this is before that I, I came back here for my second stint, but 2009 to 2011, you had a regular show at the Monte Carlo. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, I was there. I don't, I don't even remember the year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I was there uh, for quite some time and uh, had a, had a great time. It was a, it was interesting because I came after Lance Burton was there, so I was in a giant music theater. <laughs> I'm sorry, a, a magic theater right. with a giant chandelier in the middle and an aisle going out down the middle. It was almost like performing to two audiences. Kind of odd, but. Uh, yeah, I've been to the Orleans a few times since, and this is my first time at the Aliente. So, uh, Caliendo at Aliente, you know, let's, yeah. uh, let's turn it into a thing. So, any new characters that have been added to your repertoire now, or that, or that currently that you're working on, you want to, you know, give us a little bit? Well, that's uh, just my Jake Root, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> I, I tell more stories now. I do. I don't work on a ton of impressions. I, the impressions are always part of what I do, but. I don't. I, the problem with the impressions is I talk about this in my act. People are like, "What new impressions are you doing?" Well, every time I start a new impression, somebody's got a hashtag, and you can't do them anymore. So it's like uh, somebody's in trouble, and like I, you know, the one thing leads to the next, and then it's like ten years ago, if I said the name Bill Cosby, everybody in the room's like, "Hey, I hope you do Bill Cosby." I say the name Bill Cosby, and they're like, "Oh, I hope he doesn't do a Bill Cosby." Right. That's like it's almost every. It's ridiculous. It's I, I mean. Everybody gets in so much trouble. You don't know who's okay and who isn't anymore. So to me, it's like, ah, I got to get away. I, you know, I do some of the classic ones, do some new ones here and there. A bunch of Avengers stuff. Robert Denny Jr. is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, no, not really. It's just, it's it's one of those things that it's, it's, <laughs> the, the current uh, climate makes it difficult to know even who's okay to do an impression of anymore. Right. So I think last time we talked, you were contemplating or working on a Peyton Manning. You you got Peyton uh, down yet? Then he retired. Doing it? No, I, yeah. I gave up. It's kind of like a, halfway between Elvis and maybe uh, a Bill Clinton or something <laughs> like that. But I, no, it's, and what do you do with them? What do you what do you do? Where do you put them? What's the What's the funny thing about it? That's the problem with most of the impressions is, yeah. like, what do you do that makes them interesting? I could guess I could sell some pizza. Yeah, you do some pizza, or now, you know, Peyton's got his little little thing. He's going to all these different stadiums, and, you know, again, he's got his... You, you do the country thing with uh, the Paisley, yeah, right? I could sing, I could say, yeah, yeah, sing commercials. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, there you go. Sing. Or Brett Favre. I mean, Brett, Brett's an automatic. I mean, you can have some fun with Brett. Uh, yeah, but I, people don't know his voice. But, no, really? But, which is, what, yeah, no. A, a, a very, very specific football fans. No, trust me. 
Yeah, you're probably right. There you go. It's audiences are hugely segmented, and uh, it's a uh, it's just a kind of a difficult thing. I did a Sean McVay, and you you were kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Kind of, that's the thing, and he's one of the biggest head coaches in the in the league. Uh, Nobody knows. That's yeah, true. Yeah. You do Jay Gruden, five people know it. So that's the difficult, that's the hardest thing about the impressions. It's so for specific audiences that I'd rather tell stories about my son playing Fortnite and not seeing him for two weeks, which is actually a Fortnite when you think about it. Look at that. Very nice, very nice. Frank Callian. Okay, man, let's, let, let's go to the, the old standbys. Tell me what would Robert De Niro say about the Raiders coming to Vegas? Because we know Robert's been in several movies here in Vegas, and now you know, we got the Raiders coming. What, what's De Niro's thoughts here? Well, I think that would be a very good situation, and maybe uh, get some Raider slot machines. Huh? Is that a good idea? <laughs> Raider slot machines. There you go. I don't know. You got casino, this and that. I mean, you know, there could be some violence there. You know, with uh, with little Robert. Bit, little bit, little bit, huh? What you you, you, you get slot machine? You get spider two wide banana four in a row. There you go. So, how about John Madden? What would be the best thing if Madden was coaching the Las Vegas Raiders? Yeah, you know, the thing I would do is stay off the strip. I mean, let the tourists go there. I mean, it's probably, you know, you're like, hey, go see Frank Caliendo doing comedy. Boom, there you go. There you go. What's Morgan Freeman got to say about all this? Raiders, Vegas, everything else in general that you're doing. Sometimes a man isn't sure where he wants to be or what he wants to see, so... He just enjoys himself in Vegas, not going to a show, not going to play and gamble, maybe not going to the pool, but going to see the Raiders play football. <laughs> hey, this podcast, you're taking this podcast thing pretty seriously now. Tell our listeners about that. Some of it is uh, just commentary and some of it's just fun, but it's pop culture and talking about different things. We run down a little bit about the NFL right now each week. We do some nerding stuff. Uh talk about some of the uh the superhero shows as well but it's just that type of stuff it's uh on frankpods.com called the caliendo cast <laughs> this week's gonna be a lot of jay gruden john gruden man get out the disco ball yeah that's what i'm talking about you got some disco moves yourself now come on you're a throwback you got some I'm moves. break dancer man caliendo's a break dancer that's what you does the windmill, man. The windmill to the worm and then freeze. That's the way to go, man. Don't forget a little popping and locking, too, man. The lockers back in the day. You're old enough to remember that. Come on now. There you go. Absolutely, man. Get out some linoleum or some cardboard and start breaking. Breaking, too. Electric boogaloo. Great Gruden style, man. That's what I'm talking about. You See it happen, man. Love it. Spider 2, I bananas. There you go, my man. All right. Appreciate it, as always. Look forward to seeing you a couple weeks. Hey, thanks, man. Frank Caliendo.